welcome to another episode of the Listen In Podcast. This is episode 73, and we are talking New National, talking about the Power Bottom news, some other new releases. But Jake, let's talk about episode 73. 73, 1973 in music featured releases by, or such as, Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Mm -hmm. Little bit of a dud from the Rolling Stones. They dropped Goat's Head Soup, mm-hmm. the sort of unfortunate little brother to Exile on Main Street that's never been viewed as well as that album has. Quadrophenia by The Who, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road by Elton John, Aerosmith's first album, which is not on the list I'm looking at, but I just know it came out that year. <laughs> uh, we got The Wild, The Innocent, and The East Street Shuffle by Bruce. Uh, let me see if there's any... Oh, Houses of the Holy. Is that Oh, yes, Houses. Um, and let me see... Anything else of note? That's about That's it about of note. It. Red Rose Speedway by Paul McCartney. Okay. Uh, for our historical context here, Jake, yep. we finally pull out of Vietnam. We've been... That's been our go-to. That's been our bell cow for the last few weeks. Is, mm-hmm. Oh, we were still in Vietnam. Pull out of Vietnam. Also, didn't it not officially end till '75 though? Um, I think we pulled out, but like the official like oh, maybe, end yeah. end of operations yeah, in '75. Maybe. So I'm gonna keep saying we, we're, get, yeah, we were we got like another couple of years. Three out of more this. weeks. I'm gonna say we were embroiled in <laughs> Vietnam. Uh, and then OPEC enacts the oil embargo of Damn. 1973. So an eventful uh, year, chock full year. I'm sure there was many other things that we're just not thinking of here. Yep. Uh, but we are talking music. In this yep. podcast, modern music. So let's start off with our news segment, Hot Thoughts. We have a new album announcement from The National, one of my favorite bands, if not my favorite band. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. They announced their new album, Sleep Well Beast. It is out September 8th, I believe. Something like that. September 8th, in I that, think. In that neighborhood. Um, and uh, they released a new single with it as well called The System Only Dreams in Total Darkness. So like I said, I, the National are one of my favorite bands, uh, definitely favorite active band, probably. Uh, so it was really cool to see this announcement, and we hadn't had a new any new music from them really since 2013 with Trouble Will Find Me. And it's always weird, especially with your favorite band, when it's been that long. You go four years, you're like, am I still gonna like them as much? Yeah. You start to worry a little bit. The answer is yes, I still like them as much as I did. This new single reaffirmed how much I love them. The excitement's up for it. I already pre-ordered the album. I, I'm going to buy tickets to go see them. Like, I'm all in on this album cycle. It's like an old friend you haven't heard from in a while or a relative. You're like, Ooh, am I, are we still going to get along mm. after all this time? And you're like, oh, yeah, things are still the same. Um, I love this new song, The System Only Dreams in Total Darkness. Uh, I think it's a cool sort of a creative... Leap feels like a bit of a stretch, but it's a bit of a jump for The National because... They're doing cool new things with guitars where um, one of the Dessner brothers is playing kind of this raunchy little riff, almost in like the vein of blues rock a little bit. And the whole song kind of runs around that riff and one of the two plays a solo on the song, which is maybe unprecedented for the National. (sighs) From what I've heard, I can't think of another guitar solo. The only song that this kind of reminds me of in terms of the guitar tone or what they're doing here is Available. On um, Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers. Mm -hmm. That had kind of a driving, heavy riff to it. Other than that, though, they've taken a backseat in terms of guitar flourish. And in an interview, I think it was Bryce Desner, he was like, we don't usually do this on our records. I think he was kind of inferring that 
it's a little too showboaty. He doesn't like to do that with his guitar playing. The solos. But he was fucking around, and he was just like, I'm going to leave this in here. It sounds cool. I guess the whole vibe of this record is it's going to be like more loose. It's not going to be as methodical as some of the past ones were. And they said they were going to try and do that with their live show, too. Uh, so that's interesting, at least. And usually those sound bites are bullshit from bands. We're like, well, we were listening to a lot of uh, Bowie during this, so yeah. we're, we're making our, our Bowie low record. And then it comes out, and it sounds just like everything else that they made. This, from based on the single, already seems like they're trying to do different stuff. It's definitely still the national. Yeah. But, like you said, with the guitars, with... Um, there's kind of like this female vocal at the beginning, too. Yeah. I was going to say that I love some of the other choices they're making on there as well. Like the, the female vocals that are that start the song, they're kind of haunting, um, lyricless, just sort of ooze yeah. that start off the song. And then there's this part in the middle where it kind of breaks down. And there's like either a synth or some kind of like, like vibraphone sounding mm. thing. I think it's a synth and it like kind of takes center stage for a bit. It does feel like they're playing a little faster and fast and looser. Yeah. That's sort of a yeah. weird... I don't know if that actually works as a phrase, but I also love every single time I listen to The National for the first time in a while, I just love Matt Berninger's voice yeah. so much. The way he sings, um, total darkness. <laughs> like he, gets, yeah. he gets really deep. Like, dude, like yeah. not everybody can sing like that. Right. And he, he does it with such like confidence because he's been doing it for a long time. I The thing I'm most excited for is that the National is a band that you just can trust to always come through with a really good album. Seriously, yeah. I mean, maybe we'll be proven wrong this year. And, and I mean, I perish the thought. And that's what I kind of got worried about leading up to all this. I was like, ah, it's been four years. There's no way they can keep matching the quality that they have with their last albums. Like, they're involved in all these other projects now. It doesn't seem like they're as focused. I think that's going to end up being to their credit, though. Yeah. Because just based off of this song, it sounds awesome. I've already listened to this song probably like 20 times now. I love... When you get to the chorus and Matt is singing in this way where he's like, he's not screaming like he would have on one yeah. of the early records, but he, he's doing like almost a softer scream, I think we were we were describing It, it almost as. sounds like he's using his head voice. Like he's like not singing with his chest, but he's like, I can't explain it. It yeah. sounds like kind of like that, yeah. but it you can't tell if it's the way it's recorded and if he's actually screaming right, or if he's kind of almost whispering. It's in like this different kind of tone in my, like the way I hear it is. I'm, I'm excited to see how they perform that song live. First of all, that guitar solo is going to be awesome, but I'll be interested to see what he does vocally because on certain other songs he'll really like get behind yeah. something and like scream in parts where on record he's not screaming so it will be cool to see if maybe he like pushes it a little bit for that i think he will at that point um i think the thing i appreciate about the national is it's very clear that they take it seriously mm. when they put out a new album it, it always feels thought through yeah and like they they're guys who i mean they're a little older in terms of the bands we listen to it as far as how old each of the individual members are they've been at it for a long time they're guys who clearly have just a passion for music and it, it, it doesn't seem like their concern is like as much to do with image or whatever they just kind of yeah. want to make great records yeah uh that's that's a great point because i mean like they've been at it for almost 20 years now which is crazy and I feel like for them, they're just professionals. They're like, this right. is how we're going to do it. We're going to do it our way, and it's going to be really fucking good. I think I think Matt, I don't know when this interview was done, but he was talking about being, as the National, being a band from New York. He was like, there was always all this pressure to kind of live up to the cool that the Strokes had. 
at that time when they were yeah. both coming up. And he's like, for a long time, I was really self-conscious about that and like what the image was and what I was saying in my lyrics. And I wanted it to be cool, like the strokes to reflect New York City. I feel like it's hard to avoid that as yeah, a fan. Yeah, exactly. And and now he's like, I, I don't care. Like, I, I don't write self-consciously. And I think that comes with getting a little bit older like they are. And I think it's really to their credit. Something I also, also appreciate about The National is they're really open, or at least Matt Berninger, but I think the Desner brothers too. Because I think those are the three who are the most involved in writing. Yeah. They're really transparent about what their creative process is. And they've spoken openly about mm-hmm. it in many interviews I've heard. From what it sounds like, a lot of times... It'll be like demos by one of the two Destner brothers, and they send the instrumental to Matt, who sort of listens to a whole list of these demos, and he just sort of sees if he can sing over it, and if, yeah. if he's inspired to write anything over it, yep. and that's how it comes together. I think it's really cool that they are, like, there's something cool to me about a band that is as interested in the creative process in a way that they like actually own what it is and are willing to speak to it in an open way. And so actually what I also wanted to ask you about, Sean, is um, the album title mm-hmm. and the album cover. I think both are really cool. I think Sleep Well Beast is a really cool album title. I think the cover captures in the way Boxer did them as a yes. band where it's them recording maybe it's like what they're like now as a band because yes. they're in this like they have the means to have this little yeah. stowed away recording studio I also wanted to bring up the point that Sleep Well Beast as a name is kind of a moon shaped pool situation where there's there's some uh, uh, punctuation issues like sleep it should be sleep well comma, comma. beast yeah that's like, right like it should have been a moon shape so maybe it's like I don't know what uh, sleep well, sleep well, beast. I don't know how you were supposed to read it. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question because I felt that way too. I was like, ooh, there's a comma missing here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like this album title though. The National always name their albums a good title. They're always really cool, and their album art is always generally pretty cool. I like that comparison to Boxer though. I hadn't thought of that. Where uh, both of them have that feel of someone taking a picture without the people in the picture knowing a picture is being taken, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, and I think visually, like, thematically, this falls in with the all of their other ones, too. Like, I think this is going to look good when you are seeing all of their albums together. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to look good there. So I, I was excited about the name. Did you see their website? No, um, I actually didn't. So on the Nationals homepage, it was basically like a sort of a gif I guess of a running camera capturing that exact angle of the house that little or cabin or recording studio whatever Mm -hmm. it is in the woods and it was just like from like when it was light out up until it was dark and it was just capturing that house and they have that running on I don't know if it's still on the website I assume it is but it was pretty neat yeah Um, so it shows some commitment to aesthetic that's cool Um, one of the things that I wanted to bring up about the national is since the time that Trouble Will Find Me came out, I think a lot more people have discovered The National and fallen yep. in love with The National. And they feel like a pretty massive band at this point. They do. Like, when this album got released, I was kind of taken aback at how uh, how popular across different channels of people this was. Like, certain music writers who you wouldn't maybe necessarily expect to be all in on The National... We're like, yes, new national, can't wait. They kind of like span across different genres or tastes or people. Um, I've talked to people I work with who are who know the national and like the national, who I would not expect to at all. 
Um, they seem to be one of the more popular bands in our friend group generally. I think that's one where everyone can agree, like, yeah, I, I'd be down to listen to The National. Right. Um, so it's just really interesting how big they've gotten in that regard. And it seems like this is a big deal when they announce an album like this, outside of just our own tastes. Yeah, two thoughts on that. One is that I'm always shocked when I look back at their Spotify page to see that Trouble Will Find Me is their most popular mm -hmm. album in terms of listens on Spotify, and some of that has to do with I think, when it came out. But also, it's like their top ten is just filled with Trouble Will Find Me songs. Yeah. I think, I mean, because they, it's almost like the For Those About to Rock effect, because I think what happened with... Um, uh, High Violet is that kind of propelled them like Blood Buzz kind of propelled them to some new fame so that when that next album came out I f it feels like that might even be their most popular album weirdly. yeah because I think what happened and it is actually kind of been the narrative with every album going back to Alligator like mm -hmm. Alligator is the one where like people started to feel it but Boxer was the one where yeah. they really got and then, then it was the same narrative with, yeah. with High Violet and it was the same narrative again with Trouble Will Find Me it's just like compound interest with them where it just keeps building and building and building. And it kind of just depends when you came in. Because for yeah. me, I started listening to The National with High Violet. And so in my mind, that's forever the album right, where like, right. oh, they became famous. But for a lot of people, like you said, it's Boxer mm -hmm. where they heard that. So that's a good point. Yeah. So yeah, I think it does all depend. But it does feel like Trouble Will Find Me was one where, you know, they started headlining festivals yeah. with that album release cycle. And they started being and doing a lot of different things that gave them more mainstream popularity. So, yeah, I think it does make sense that that probably is one of their, their more popular ones. Also, too, I think people like you and I, like real, real national heads, love Alligator. Yeah. There's a tendency that I've noticed with maybe newer fans or, or not as serious fans. No, they don't really ever mention Alligator. Yeah, possibly. I, I feel like... The general consensus is that Boxer is better than Alligator. I've always liked Alligator more, although I recently had a listen to Boxer that gave it gave it a big boost for me because I've always been, for some reason or other, I really don't know why, a little bit low on Boxer, especially compared to how well I know people love it. Um, but I recently had a listen that, that bolstered it a little more. But I agree. I think Alligator goes sort of under the radar yeah. and is one of their best albums. The other point I was going to make about their universal appeal is they're kind of a band where... They have a little bit of something for everyone because mm -hmm. they have kind of the brooding lyrics and the brute like that kind of vibe. If you if you're into like sad music, you'll like the national. But if you're into straight ahead rock music, you might like them too. But they do some kind of cool experimental or interesting song structure mm -hmm. things where if that's your sort of jam, you can get into them yeah. there. I feel like they kind of have a lot for everybody. Yeah, they do. And I think that's one of the reasons why you see the response that you get on Twitter and other places when they announce a new album like that. So I think we're both really, really excited for this. Um, oh, did I give the impression that I was excited? Because <laughs> I couldn't care less. No, no I'm just kidding. Um, I, I mean, it's going to be interesting when we get to the end of the year yeah. and we have some of our favorite artists ever releasing albums. Father John Misty, The National, Fleet Foxes. Mm -hmm. And it feels like they're all getting their little quarter of the year True. to kind of shine. True. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see once we get to the end who comes out the victor in that regard. It's not on the agenda, but I realized we never talked last week about Fool's Errand by, oh, yeah. Fo by Fleet Foxes, yeah. the new single, and I figured maybe we could talk about that really quick. Yeah. Um, I like it. Don't feel like I yet love it. I think it's going to be something that grows on me with context from the album. Yeah, I, I feel exactly the same way. It didn't totally grab me. It's good. It's definitely good. You know, it sounds like a Fleet Foxes song, which always sounds good. But yeah, it didn't, didn't totally grab me. Um, you know what this feels like is I think think 
during Helpless is Blues, the press leading up to that, I think they released Battery Kinsey mm-hmm. as a single. I, and I was like, okay. Because that's, you know, one of my probably on the back half favorites okay. on, on Helpless is Blues. And when that came out, I was like, okay, this is like good, but not great. Maybe it's one of those situations. Because yeah. I, think, I think what happened with the singles releases was Helpless is Blues, which was amazing. Then I think it was Battery Kinsey. Then I think their last one was Grown Ocean. Okay. So like Grown Ocean and Helpless is Blues totally grabbed me. Battery Kinsey, I was like, I'll like wait for the album to listen more. Yeah. Th- maybe that's kind of what this one is. I don't know, but I, I agree. I didn't. It didn't totally grab me. I definitely like a lot of parts of it. Like I like when he's singing the actual fool's errand part. I think that part's really cool. The verses have kind of this like plotting medieval feel to yeah. them, and the I don't know the chord progressions in it to me feel like very archaic. And and the way they're going with that, it feels like they're hearkening back to some of their older stuff, which mm. surprised me a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Because based on, uh, what's the name of the other single? The eight Th- minute Third song. of May. Third of May. Uh, Odegai Hara, that song. <laughs> yeah. That felt like a bit of a progression right. towards a little bit of a more embracing a modern sound, like more in line with what their second album, uh, Helplessness Blues, was all about. Yeah. Um, but this song, at least parts of it, feel very early Fleet Foxes to me. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, is it better than Thinking of a Place, though, by War on Drugs? It is not. <laughs> no, it's not. It is not. Here's a question for you. Do you like 3rd of May or Thinking of a Place better? Oh, that's so hard, and it's, it's so unfair because right now I'm so into Thinking <laughs> of a know. Place. Say Thinking of a Place because that's, that's actually my answer. To be, honest like with you, I, I, to be honest with you, Thinking of a Place is, is a strong candidate for Song of the Year. Seriously, me. me too. It's way, way up there, me and too. I've listened to it a ton. Yeah. In the last week alone, yeah, I like listen to it like twice a day. It's gonna rank very highly on our. That's end, a hell of a song. People, we talked about this last week on the episode, and that's why I brought it back up because I'm yeah. like, I'm still in on it, and I still fucking love it. Yeah. Everyone, go listen to that. Listen song. to the new War on Drugs song. Thinking of a place. So, in more in more uh, serious news, yeah. um, we wanted to discuss this power bottom news. Yeah, uh, that that came out last week. Um, so obviously their new album came out on Friday, new album Pageant. Um, the day before, I think it came out, these these um, sexual assault, anti-Semitism allegations. And I don't think, at least me personally, I don't think I understood what actually was going to happen over the weekend with all of that and the fallout that was going to happen. Yeah, and so for anyone who didn't see it, the way I at least was introduced to the situation was I was scrolling through Twitter and I saw a retweet of Power Bottom, they released this long statement. Basically, it was like when someone uses their notepad app in their phone and writes a whole long thing and then takes a picture and tweets it. And it basically was this long message to fans saying, we know about the allegations that have been levied against us. We take them seriously. And we are going to hire a moderator to run a Power Bottom email if you'd like to email us about what you say has happened, and they got killed on Twitter, I think for it. rightfully so. That Deservedly, seems like the absolute worst way to yeah. handle something like that. That's yeah. not for you to decide how they get to like reach out to you or, or whatever. It just seemed completely tone deaf in the way that you handle it. And I think one of the reasons for that, they seem to be kind of shady with the whole thing and how they were even referring to it they were like we were surprised to hear this or something yep. turns out they had known about this for a while and that other people in the scene one of their tour mates I think um, I forget who it was one of their openers the bands that was going to open yeah had been told by somebody else so like oh like there's this stuff out there about Ben uh, like I just wanted you to know 
And then I guess um, Sadie Dupless or whatever from Speedy Ortiz yep. had a, a Twitter thread about all of that as well, where she's like, I had heard about that before too. So it seemed like they already knew about this, and the way that they handled it was just really, really bad in that statement. They got killed on that angle where it's like, well, no, you actually did know about this. So they got killed from that perspective. They also got slammed by a lot of people who on Twitter um, were like, well, no, it's not up to you to determine... Right. How someone who's been assaulted should communicate with you, and it. Why would they talk to you, someone who has abused your power or abused your stature, for for these reasons? And they basically got just completely destroyed on Twitter. And it was it was interesting to see. And since then, things have only gotten worse for Power. Way Bottom. way worse. Record way worse. label dropped them. They canceled their tour. I mean, shit hit the fan. They're getting taken off of streaming services, too. Like, this album, Pageant's not going to be on Apple Music, on Spotify, on any of these places anymore. You're not going to be able to listen to it. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that was the latest news, I think, yesterday and today that uh, came out. Yeah. Have you ever seen a more precipitous or faster decline or, or rise and fall of a band or of anything? No, no. This completely blows my mind. And I think this is the most interesting angle to take on this yeah. is why it was such a fast zero to 60 you were beloved and then now you're hated why was it so fast with them but with other bands who have been in similar situations or other artists or entertainers in general it doesn't seem to be the same why? I, I think part of it is because they presented themselves as this voice for yeah. um, a group of people who, you know, doesn't have a voice yeah. necessarily a lot of the time. They were such a proponent of safe spaces and being yourself. And then for this news to come out that, you know, that was all kind of a sham by them and they behave in this shady, you know, shitty way. I think that was one of the reasons why, where it's like they're so closely aligned between who they are as a band and as people and their music. Yeah. It's almost impossible to separate those two. And I think that is one of the reasons why you see such a fast um, decline with all this over the weekend. I'm of kind of two minds about it because on the, the more sort of cynical part of me thinks maybe there's some way in which like this was, and again, this is not to diminish what anyone has gone through on be, like as part of this. And it is difficult to talk about, but like... Is it almost too reactionary? Like that's one. Yeah. That's just a question. Not knowing all the details, is it like are are people too fast to judge? The other part of me thinks if this is happening this way, this fast, and with like the tours canceled, it's being removed from streaming services. Polyvinyl dropped them. The other part of me thinks like this must be actually really serious. Yeah. And it must be founded. Yes. Because I'd like to believe that this wouldn't happen to someone who really didn't act in a way that was untoward or whatever. And I think we were briefly talking about this the other day and, and you had brought up a point about how in, in these situations sometimes fair or not, it, it seems guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that and I'm not saying like oh, you need to have all of this proof before nope. I believe. Like no, that's that's not the case. But I do think there sometimes is a tendency to pile onto this and take it to the absolute extreme because of how serious it is. Like you want to make sure that you know, like these, if, if you are guilty of this, that you're not allowed to continue having this platform. I agree with that. But to your point, I think 
maybe sometimes there is a little piling on that happens. Yeah, and I think that in some ways it makes sense, right? Because for years and for, honestly, decades and most of history, this kind of shit was just swept under the rug. Right. And so to be overreactionary, to me, it, it makes good sense. I find myself occasionally wondering, and it's honestly in no small part because it's a band I like, if people are overreacting a little bit, but I, I have to tell myself, like, no, if this is happening to them, they probably deserve it, but... I don't know. Like, sometimes you hear about people who are like, I mean, it happens in the prison system where people are convicted wrongly and yeah, spend years and, in prison. And how about Connor Oberst? He had rape a- accusations levied against him a few years ago, and that ended up being false. I remember I was one of them. I was like, oh, fuck that guy. Yeah. Like, that sucks. Like, And I want to acknowledge something right now because I realized that listening to a podcast with two men talking about this and being like, oh, well, sometimes the accusations are unfounded. I just want to squash any, like, incorrect notions. Obviously, I can speak for Sean in saying we're both very in favor of people who have been through stuff like this speaking out and asking for help and, like, calling out the people who do it. My question that I'm trying to raise is, like, is it sometimes the case that there's an accusation and then someone's career is just is done, even if it's unfounded, even if you found out years later that, and I'm not saying this is true of Ben Hopkins, but maybe it's true of some other you know performance or something maybe it ended up being untrue right and i think the connor oberst one is is a prime example of that but i think you do make a good point where it seems like this is true because all all of the this stuff has happened two other interesting things I, i think that are worth talking about with this one is another reason for this swift backlash because you you see this all the time you see this like um that that guy from Swans, he was yeah. also accused of this, and people kind of swept. Like it, it was a uh, an internet thing for a while. It kind of got swept under the rug. He still has a career. He still has a fan base. Yeah. Is there some kind of bias or prejudice against a band like Powerbottom, who is so openly gay and proud of it, and such a voice for that scene that people are like? Well, fuck them. Like we're just gonna like shut them up, and because it seems like this happened way faster and way more like justice was served quickly. It was swift, more so than it has for any other band, artist, whatever. Well, a great example is someone like Bill Cosby, where obviously now we all know what's happened with him, and that guy has gotten what he's deserved. But for years, that shit went on. Like people came out, and like yeah. there were a few people who did come out and mention. Bill Cosby did this to me, and it happened. But it took time, and to your point about being established, I think does have something to do with it. Because for him, it took a long time, and it took a lot of incremental steps to the point where everyone, the floodgates opened, right. and his career really was squashed. Actually, the beginning was that Hannibal Burris comedy bit where he was like, Bill Cosby has rape allegations. People just ignore it. Yeah. And it's true. It like happens, and, and the ugly part of myself, I'm willing to admit, is that when it's someone I like, or someone whose art I like, as is the case with Power Bottom, or would be the, like, for example, like Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. There were those allegations that he like right. masturbated in front of a woman yeah. and made her uncomfortable. Like I love Louis C.K. and because I do, I kind of let myself just ignore it. Yeah, yes, I and remember. I, th- I totally forgot about that until you brought it up just now. And I think that that happens a lot with people or bands that people really like is you you don't want to believe it. Right. And I think that's kind of an ugly truth. But I, with Power Bottom, what's weird is that 
part of me thinks, well, yeah, maybe it's because they are so representative of the queer and LGBTQ communities, but they have a lot of goodwill for that. Like, yeah. there's like the public views them so positively, and I feel like. But but also it's kind of you know, that scene in particular has no absolutely no patience for anything even resembling that right. behavior that they did. Like they will speak out against that in a second and you know with especially with them trying to promote like our shows are a safe space and then to go against that yeah. that that I think plays into this too. And then there's this whole there's this whole idea as well about how and I think this is indicative of, of kind of the entire music industry where you hear about these stories all the time, whether it be producers, um, agents, record label guys, you know, lead singers, whoever it might be. Dudes in the music industry can be really, really shady. I don't care if you are like an advocate for the, the queer or LGBT community or who you are. There's kind of this mentality of like, I'm a dude in the music industry. Like, I'm deserved like sex or, yeah. or some kind of sexual favor for like whatever I'm doing. Like there's that there's a whole stereotype about lead singers who just like, you know, get a ton of girls, stuff like that. Like if you're if you're you play a guitar, you're in a band, you're gonna get girls. Like I think that is ingrained in a lot of people's heads. And even if you don't outwardly say or act that way, I think there's a subconscious thing that happens with that where you're like, I'm gonna act in a certain way because I feel entitled to that because I'm in a band. Well, it's kind of like the Dennis Reynolds in Always Sunny thing, the implication. Mm -hmm. I wonder how many rock stars of the 70s, especially, and 80s, when rock was at its height of excess and just all of the cliches of girls, mm -hmm. sex, drugs, rock and roll, how much of that was a, a result of like people being sexually aggressive in unwanted ways? I, I mean... Yeah. But I think in some ways we'll never find out. Exactly. Well, And I think that's a good point where... Maybe what we'll start to see is record labels like Polyvinyl or fans saying, no, we're not going to stand for this at all. If you have any allegation against you, rumor, if there's any hint of behavior like this, you're going to get basically the death sentence in the industry and you're going to go away. Your career is going to be gone. I think what one of the other reasons why this happened so quickly was because there's less tolerance for this stuff, especially oh, yeah. from audiences like this who, you know, a lot of those issues are at the forefront of their lives and things that they're talking about and care about. So I think you're also seeing music fans um, in the industry maybe growing up a little bit or being more aware that this stuff goes on and not having any tolerance for it, which I think can maybe be the one positive that's taken out of this is maybe we're starting to see some institutional changes happening in the music industry. I realize it sounds probably inappropriate to say this I part of this sucks because the album they just came out with is really good and that's yeah. just like I, I feel like there's you say that and that is inherently a thorny thing to say because people are like oh like that's almost like victim blaming because you're saying like if they hadn't come out and said this against Ben from Power Bottom we'd still get to just enjoy this album like regular so you're kind of blaming them that's not what I'm trying to get at I'm, I think there's a way in which you have to be able to have two thoughts at once in your head. And one is, like, it turns out the guys in Power Bottom, or specifically Ben from Power Bottom, has done some shitty stuff. The other thing is, like, I really like this album they just I made. Know. And I feel conflicted in that way. 
where I don't know. Well, I guess I can't listen to it because it's not going to be on streaming services anymore. True. But I was thinking like you can't even buy it. Like it won't be for sale or anything. This is just going to go away. It's going to fade into nothing, basically. And like, but it, say it hadn't. Say it was still on Spotify. Like would. Would it be okay to listen to this? That's a good question. That's something I've been asking myself too. I I've I listened over the weekend because I was like, well, I want to hear what this album's all about, yeah. so like we can discuss it and everything. And I had this bit of self consciousness. I was like, oh, I hope no one sees I'm listening to Power Bottom in my activity feed and thinks I'm like, you know, fine with what they did or whatever, or thinks that I like don't know or care about it because like that kind of goes on. And it's funny because you were listening to them before. We recorded. Yeah. You made the mistake, Jake, of having that be the last thing that you listened to. So now Power Bottom is just hanging there like a stale fart in your activity feed I'll, for, I'll for all it. the world to see. I'll own it and I'll wear it. You know, I just but, wanted to listen to the album. But that's but that's a, that brings up a good question where it's like, can we separate the people from the art? Because if you look at somebody like Woody Allen or Roman Polanski, yeah. those people have made undeniably great art. But have been caught up in some also less than stellar activity. So I think where I'm at with this is Power Bottom is so tied to their music. Who they are as people is so closely tied to their music. You almost can't separate these two. Like I I think it's easier to separate a film or a TV show or something from the director or writer because you're not seeing them necessarily you can you can separate those two yeah or even certain types of music i think you can separate but with this because they're talking about these issues so openly you know it's really really hard to separate those and and, and in a way it's unfortunate because they spoke to the issues really well i actually think that on this album there are some songs that are really affecting and really touching and because of what this guy did, it's not gonna get out there anymore. No. He, like they're dude, they're fucking done. Yeah. And what's crazy yeah. to me, like an angle that's insane to me is like, this is a band that was really on the ascent. Yep. You could just tell from all yep. the press they'd been getting, they'd been interviewed by Pitchfork, they were starting to get mentioned in huge music. They were, they were about to really, really blow up. They they were. They were about to blow up and I am Almost positive, this album would have gotten a best new music on Pitchfork. Oh, one thousand percent. Everything was it, leading. It has to an it. eighty-five on Metacritic right now, still, because a lot of the reviews had come out before yeah. this. I think most publications now, if they haven't reviewed it, probably just won't. Yeah. Like we probably won't get a Pitchfork review. But and that's what's so confusing about it is like they were a really good band. Yeah, they made a really good record, and I really like Ugly Cherries too. But like, that's what's complex about this issue is like they were really going somewhere. And it's crazy to see a band in everyone's good graces, it seemed. Like, yeah. they had every music blog on their, like, a fucking pet, just mm-hmm. on, their, like, on their side. They had them on a leash. They were exactly what all these sort of outlets wanted out of a band. They wrote good songs. They had, a, you know, some meaning to them. They stood behind issues that mattered and that were especially applicable to, like, our day and age. Mm-hmm. And their rise was, like... They were, they were like just it was that hockey stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible growth, and now it's crazy to see it just completely All gone. cut off. I, and I, I think what's so shocking about this too, outside of the alligator, outside of everything, is I've never seen anything like this before happen so fast. I think that really speaks to the power of the internet and the yeah. power of that fan base and that scene and that community of people to be like, no, fuck you, we're not standing for this. Which, in a way, is is powerful and, and cool to see. But is also it's it's kind of scary at the same time. It's also ruthless. Like, and I don't again. 
It should be. And if, if what he is alleged of doing, he has actually done, he, it should happen. Right. But the, like you said, the justice that happens on Twitter and in those sort of spheres online is swift and it's unequivocal. And people, like, the, the stand that a lot of emo Twitter takes is if, they, if, if you, they find out that someone has any kind of shady sexual assault history... They go on Twitter attack and say, "Do not support this artist." Yeah, the, and like, and I've seen that from like Bren from Modern Baseball saying that about I can't remember the name of the bit. Front porch stuff. Yeah. Oh, front porch stuff is the poster child for just fuck this artist. Yeah. Which I guess it's d- deserve it. I don't really know too Again, much about yeah. it, but like, but yeah, I, I I know exactly what you're saying. They go on the attack it's, against these bands. Yeah. It's 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 interesting in a lot of ways where it's like it. It kind of has come full circle, especially in these scenes. Outside of any of this stuff, because I think, it, you know, if you are guilty of that and those allegations are true, yeah, you probably should get kind of, you probably should just go away. Yeah. I think there's a tendency with that sect of Twitter to do internet justice like that for things that maybe don't even, like this This is deserve it. Yeah. This this is fair to have happen. I think you can make the argument that there's certain things where it's just like you hear a rumor and then you just go on the attack and then you're blackballed and yeah, you know. And and the only thing that ever concerns me is again, and I like I'm trying to be very clear. If it weren't true, this would be a really unfortunate circumstance for someone. And it's just it's difficult to hold both those thoughts in my head at the same time. I don't yeah. really know how to rec- how to sort of like and and I think I think balance them. what ends up happening to it. It's a it's hard to have those thoughts in your head at the same time. It's even harder to kind of eloquently discuss that without right. making it come across like you are victim blaming or that you don't believe this or that you know or, or whatever it might be. But I, I'm I'm with you on that where. You can't have those two thoughts in your head. It's yeah. a hard conversation. You know, like, go ahead. What are you going to say? I think part of what makes it disingenuous is that, or, or what seems weird about what happens on Twitter sometimes is it does feel like you're not allowed. Yeah, to, yes. you're, you're not allowed to chime in. And even, even if you totally support that someone who has been sexually assaulted should speak out and that the person who did it should be dealt with accordingly... That you're not even allowed to to raise the question like, well, what if he didn't do it? Right. Just as a curiosity, and just you as like, would get destroyed you for, would, for even bringing that up, even though you are in complete agreement with everybody on yeah. that. And, and that's a weird place that we live in now on the internet is that you you almost can't even have a conversation that even trends into a gray area. It has to be all one or the other yeah. and you have to be all in on that take or fuck you. Well, and part of that I think is the mentality on either side because I think there are like what was the problem for years was that people like if you think about like all the fucking horrendous shit that dudes in frats and on hockey and football teams mm-hmm. have done at colleges, you like there's some really horrendous stuff on the other side of the spectrum that's way worse where people would be like well, these women are ruining these young men's lives by alleging this stuff. So obviously, I mean, there are people on that side who would never hear any of the other right. side. And so I, it just feels weird to like I try to balance it. And I guess I, I feel like what's what's tough is that you say it, and I just am hoping that people out there listening aren't like fuck Jake and Sean. Yeah, and I don't. Yeah, I think I um I don't want people to be like yeah fuck them. They think they're innocent. That's not they that's support not, rapists. Right. That's not the case at all. And I also people. It's also really easy for people to be like oh look at these two dudes on a podcast trying to like 
have one foot in each of the takes and be right. these great arbiters and, and just <laughs> right. see see all and be wise about this whole thing. We're not trying to do that either. I, I think it's just worth discussing this entire situation yeah. and what that means for for the fans in that scene, what that means for the artists who these allegations against, what it means for the music scene in general and the industry in general. Because I think these are all really important conversations to have. And it's not always going to be the most eloquent or easy to talk about on a podcast segment. But, right. you know, it's, we can at least try, I guess. Because the easiest thing we could have done is come on and just said, fuck that guy, yeah. fuck Powerbottom, right. we're done with them, and everyone else should be. Right. But what I really believe is, like, again, if it's true, yeah, I agree with that. But, it, like, part of me wants to say, like, that every issue is complicated, and, like, I just think that, like, I don't know all the details. Right. And how many people on Twitter look at one yeah. allegation and are like, okay, now fuck this band. And yes. I'm telling everyone I know, fuck this band. Right. Like, you average Twitter user X isn't totally informed on this entire situation. And to act like you are is pretty irresponsible, actually. Yeah. I don't know. And it, people do sort of pile on. I mean, all and, things. And I'm, and I'm talking about this generally when people do this. Not even in just in this specific situation. It, yeah. it really is frustrating and exhausting when people do that about anything yeah. online. That being said, although it is sad for, I guess, the I think... It, it's kind of a sad thing for the gay and, and the queer communities because they were such advocates. It if it's if it's justified, it's justified, and I think that you know it's probably fair. If yeah. this is something that actually happened, and based on the reaction that the record label and that streaming services have had, it seems like it seems did. Like it is, yeah. I, it's the whole situation. Sad. The whole situation, you know, sucks. It's you know, it's, I don't know. It's tough to parse. It's it it, is. it's complicated. It I is. think is, it the, is. is the hopefully we at least did it justice or could get other conversations happening. So um, let's move on. Let's let's do our last Hot Thought segment. Let's quickly talk about the new Girl Pool album mm-hmm. that came out. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on this, Jake? Um, I have been enjoying it. I've listened to it a few times. I, it reminds me a lot of, uh, of Frankie Cosmos. Me too. It feels too. like if Frankie Cosmos was two people... Mm. And she sang harmonies with herself. Mm-hmm. Um, I like some of the songs. I think one, two, three is a really cool song. The last song on the album, I really like. Yeah. Um, not a ton of thoughts yet. I feel like I don't either. This I was thinking today. I was like, I haven't. This hasn't totally grabbed me yet. Like it's all it's good. Yeah. But this same thing happened with Frankie Cosmos, where we had the same thought, and I basically just made myself listen to it a lot and ended up loving it. I'm wondering if the same thing will happen with this album too. Because I, I had my best listen today, and it seems to me like the back half, songs like Soup, or It Gets More Blue, or the last song, Static Somewhere, those all started to stand out. I was like, yeah, this back half, I really like. It Gets More Blue is getting a lot of love on Spotify. I think it's their second most listened yeah. to song on the album. Um, but I agree. I've sort of felt like maybe it is a bit of a Frankie Cosmo situation where it hasn't totally grabbed me immediately. I like things here and there, and it's enjoyable to listen to, undeniably, and it's really short, which is a big mm-hmm. thing. It's like 28 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a lot of ways, this is similar to the Frankie Cosmos album that came out yep. last year. Yep. Um, I didn't have any additional thoughts I don't, on that. I really. don't either. I think this is a, I got to keep listening to it before yeah. I have any takes. But if you like that general sound, I think you would enjoy this album. So maybe check it out right. if, if you like that. Um, okay, few segments to wrap up the show. Mm-hmm. Um, we got one. We got Trim the Fat. Coming back, Jake. Trim the fat. So for anyone who doesn't know this segment, we take 
kind of a classic album, mm-hmm. well-regarded album. Yeah. And we cut it down to size. Um, the rules are we take an album that we deem to be a little long <laughs> and we have to get it to 50 minutes. Yeah, and in this case, we picked an album that is more than a little long. We picked the Beatles' White Album, or as it's actually titled, The Beatles. That's right. Their self-titled album. So this album is a whopping 93 minutes Mm. and 35 seconds. It is a lengthy one, and it's a double album in every sense of the word. So to cut out... Um, basically, forty-five minutes of runtime is going to be difficult. We're gonna make some. We're gonna need to make hard Bit, cuts. Yeah, drastic, drastic cuts here. Uh, let's let's dive in with this. So here's the thing. D- jumping right in, side one is pretty strong. I, let's let's there, let's start with the ones that are easy. I think yep. that's the best place to start. Revolution Nine, I think, has yep. to be the first one to go because we get rid of eight minutes twenty-two seconds right there, yep. and it's we're already down to a buck twenty-five here. So <laughs> we, we don't have long a, to go. Yeah. Um, I think we can do away with Wild Honey Pie, which only gives us fifty-two seconds off. Yeah. Well, here, here's the thing. Here's the interesting thing about the White Album. There's songs on here that are almost inconsequentially short, yep. where it's like maybe we just leave that in for now because it gives us that White Album. Vibe. Everything in the kitchen sink feel, yeah, but that, it's not killing us on time. That's a possibility. That's a possibility. If let's leave it, and if we need one more minute towards the end, then we can ditch it. Okay, so on any th- so side one, so there are four sides to this double album. Yep. Side one has back in the USSR, Dear Prudence, excuse me, Glass Onion, Obla Dee Obla Da, Wild Honey Pie, Bungalow Bill, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, Happiness Is a Warm Gun. I think that a lot of that is really strong. It's pretty essential. But we're gonna need to make. A lot of cuts. I think we might have to get rid of Bungalow Bill. I could see that. I think we, like you said, Wild Honey Pie is only 52 seconds. We might not have to cut it. Maybe have to cut Glass Onion and Obla Dee Obla It depends. We might have to cut a lot from a bunch of sides. But I think later in the album we'll be, we'll be looking yeah, stronger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I would agree with those are probably ones that might have to go. So let's say for now we just get rid of Bungalow Bill. Three okay. minutes. Okay. Okay. So it's three more Fair minutes enough. off. So we're at now like 11, 12 minutes off the runtime. Yeah, time. we're up to, we're at 28 songs, one hour, 22 minutes. So I think if we took a look at the back half here, there's probably some songs we could ditch. Uh, I got another from the front half. Okay, us. yeah, give it to me. Now, although, is it really a Beatles album without a Ringo song? Because I was going to say... Don't Pass Me By. If we're going to cut anything that's non-essential, maybe we cut Don't Pass I w- Me By. I would I would cut it. All right, let's cut it. Because, cut it. because Don't Pass Me By is four minutes yeah, long. It's, that's too long. It's, if it was two minutes, 30 seconds, I, it's a different story. It's almost four minutes. That's let, too long. Let me ask you this. How do you feel about uh, cutting Piggies? A George Harrison track. So we're just cutting the little guys. Do you like that? Do we leave it for now? I think we leave it because, again, it's only two minutes. Yeah. And it it has that eclectic White Album feel. So maybe we leave it for now. I I got one for you. Yep. Uh, If we're going to the back here, um, long, long, long. You know what I'd rather get rid of than long, long, long? It's about the same length, and I like it less, is Savoy Truffle. It's another really? okay. It's another George I, I, song. I like Savoy Truffle a little better, actually. Mm. I know that. I, honestly, I think both of those probably need to go, though. They're both uh, George songs, and I th- I like Long 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 better. But if we want, we can cut them both. I for think now. I think we probably got to cut. Both if, if we're cutting this down to a fifty-minute lean Beatles album, those George, don't those don't belong. George only gets George one gets song, like, anyways. Yeah, he, well, one he's or lucky to keep while my guitar gently weeps. Well, he'll definitely keep that. <laughs> yes, he will. Um, All right, so those two are gone. We what are, are we down now to. One hour, twelve minutes. 
25 songs. We got to cut 22 more. Okay. So, um, wow. It's going to get tough. I honestly think we could lose good night. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We, the, could, we could lose good night. I, I'm, I'm good with that. Here's a hot, 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 hot take for you, Okay, Jake. okay. This song is 4 minutes and 16 seconds. Revolution 1. Because mm-hmm. you already have the Revolution single, which is better. Yep. Just go listen to Past Masters Volume 2 if you want to get Revolution 1. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a cut. It's, it's a harsh cut, but I'll take it. Okay. So what do we have for length? Right now, we are at 23 songs, 1 hour, 4 minutes. 1 hour, we cut four. 14 more. Um, so, I mean, just to give a sense of some of the essentials we're dealing with here, we still have, like, your blues on here. We still have Helter yeah. Skelter, Sexy Sadie. Um, there are some great, great songs on here. We could here, here. do away with Cry Baby Cry. No, I, I don't want to get rid of Cry Baby Cry yet. I fucking love that song. I do too, but we like. I, I, okay, if we're, I'm getting rid of Honey Pie before I'm getting rid of Cry Baby Cry. Yeah, but it's only two forty. Yeah, but that one's all. You, it, you're talking about nineteen seconds here between yeah. the two. Yeah, I know. I, I, I like Cry Baby Cry better. Well, I I I don't know. Sometimes I really love what McCartney's doing on Honey Pie. That's kind of like Goofy Paul. If we're keeping that spirit of the White Album thing, let's look back at. But the he's f- got he's got um, Martha, my dear. To be honest with you, Sean, both might have to go. Yeah. All right. Let, let's let's see what else we're working with here. Okay. So back in the USSR, I really don't think we can. The way that kicks the album, off, I, love I don't that think song. I don't think we can touch Dear Prudence. Glass Onion is only two eighteen. That's tough to. That's a maybe. That's a comeback. has all those like little Beatle references, the know, John, those yeah, jokes that John's yeah. doing. Um, so here, here's here's one for you because I think we can probably both agree, Obla D Obla Da is one of our favorites, but it's so Paul, it's so White Album, it's such a well known song. You it, almost can't have the White Album without that song. It's so so fucking catchy, Obla yeah. D Obla Da. It's like. I, it, where songs like this and Maxwell Silverhammer work for me is like, yeah, they're non-essential. Yeah, they're goofy and they're silly, but it's they're like, un uh, like they're so catchy. You can't yeah. deny how fucking catchy Paul's songwriting is. But if we still need fourteen more minutes, Obadiah Obadiah is three minutes. Yeah. It well, might, let's 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 keep going through here. We can't. If we got rid of that and Wild Honey Pie, that's four more minutes off. We only have ten minutes to go after that. Okay. Well, well let's keep that in mind. We can't. Get rid of uh, Guitar Gently Weeps. Can't get rid of Happiness is a Warm Gun. Nope. Can't get rid of Martha, My Dear, or I'm So Tired, or Blackbird. Piggies might have to pig, go. Pig, let's get rid of Piggies. Fuck Piggies. We're going to have to. Rocky Raccoon. How do you feel about Rocky Raccoon? Because it depends. Like, I really like Rocky Raccoon. It could go. It's one of those ones on the fringes. <sighs> the songs that I see as potential cuts right now are Rocky Raccoon. Um, I think we could potentially cut Honey Pie, Cry Baby Cry, um, and I guess Long, 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 and Savoy Truffle. Oh, we, we got rid of those. Oh, we got rid of those. Those are gone. Okay, so <laughs> those, those are gone. <laughs> what Let's we... get rid of Rocky Raccoon. Okay. I think we can both agree. Do you like Rocky Raccoon or, or Cry Baby Cry better? I like Cry Baby Cry. Baby Cry is an underrated it is. like gem for me. You know what it is with Cry Baby Cry? It comes on a side four that's like a little weak. Yeah. Like, I mean, Revolution 1, I actually really like, but you got Honey Pie, which is sort of this weird song. Savoy Truffle is one of my least favorite George songs. And then Cry Baby Cry kind of, it comes in right before Revolution 9. And Good Night has never seemed that strong to Mm me. Mm -mm. But again, it fits that aesthetic of the White Album is like, I don't know. Let's, Let's get rid of Rocky Raccoon. 
Here, here's one for you that you might scoff at. Scoff at. What about birthday? Does does birthday need to be here? Here's the thing. Here's the thing about is birthday. Ever as good as you think it's gonna be. Here's the thing. Birthday. I always like have this picture of them in my mind, like playing it in the studio, and they. I picture it as like a fun time because they involved all their wives singing background yeah. vocals in it. It's two forty. We could lose it, and then the second half would still kick off with your blues. Yeah, I think we get rid of birthday. All right, maybe birthday. But if we're getting rid of birthday, we we can't justify having honey pie. No. Or cry baby cry. Or cry baby cry, Jake. What are we down to? Fifty six minutes. If we get rid of those, we're done. Uh, you're right. Wait. Well, wait, wait, wait. Okay. What if? You're probably gonna dis- you're probably gonna disagree with me here. What about I will? Oh, I disagree big time. It's a minute forty six. I, I, I know. I know. It is the like purest distillation of Paul's ability to craft melody. <laughs> Plus, he pay- plays fucking bass with his mouth. That's on this true. Song. That's a fun fact. You got to keep in. That's such a fun That's song. True. You can't lose. That's true. I mean, uh, I think you gotta go. We gotta go. Not in terms of like things that we like a lot. Things that people You're right. genuinely like. You're right. And if we cut You're Honey right. Pie and Cry Baby Cry. Okay. We've done that. We're at 18 songs, 50 minutes. This is still a lengthy, big album. There's still a lot happening here. Let's hear the track list. I want to hear Here's the track list. This is still... We actually might have made an even stronger album. Okay. Let's hear it. Number one. Kicking off with Back in the USSR. Still going into Dear Prudence. Glass Onion. Obla D. Obla Da. Wild Honey Pie. While my guitar gently weeps, happiness is a warm gun. Martha, my dear, I'm so tired. Blackbird, why don't we do it in the road? Okay. I will. Julia, your blues. Mother Nature's son. Everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. Sexy Sadie, helter skelter. That back half now has become so much stronger and compact. Is that where it ends? Ends, ends at Helter Skelter. That's a co- Helter Skelter is a cool way to end it. You know what we did is we cut side four. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm looking at it on Wikipedia. Yeah. Side four is gone. Yeah. We got rid of Revolution 1, Honey Pie, Savoy, Truffle, Cry Baby, Cry, Revolution 9, and Good Night. Yeah. That's all of side four. And, and you know what some people are going to say is they're going to be like, Good Night is a good closer. It is a good closer. So, so th- maybe if you want to keep Good Night. Can we reorder stuff? Or do we have to go with the current order? Could we theoretically end it with Sexy Sadie? I feel like that's a stronger closer than Helter Skelter with a little bit of a fade out. I got blisters on my fingers, though. That's a cool way to end an album. That's Helter really Skelter's cool. the That's closer. really cool. Because yep. you, you think it's done, yeah. and it fades out, and then it comes back. That's an awesome ending, actually. Yep. That's yep. really cool. Okay, I like it. I like what we've done. All right. All right, so uh, that is our Trim the Fat of the White album. That is available to listen to on the Listen In Podcast playlist folder on Spotify. Uh, there's a subfolder called Trim the Fat. You can find the White album and our past Trim the Fats as well. Okay, so two truths and a lie, Jake. Yeah, that's right, and I'm coming at you this week with a two truths and a lie about... You did Pitchfork last week. I'm going to do Rolling Stone I this like week. It. Rolling Stone I like magazine, it. a titan of of uh, one of the dinosaurs of the music industry. <laughs> right, a titan nonetheless. Yep, big but but going extinct. <laughs> okay, so here you go. Here's your three facts. Okay, or two facts, one lie. Okay. 
Rolling Stone was found was found founded founded by Grill Marcus in 1967. It was sold to its current owner Jan Wenner in 1976. He's run the magazine ever since. Number two, John Lennon of Beatles fame. <laughs> ever heard of him? <laughs> ever heard of him? John Lennon was featured on two of the magazine's first three covers. Number three. Madonna has appeared on Rolling Stone's cover more times than any other female subject, with 21 appearances on the cover. Okay, this is tough. I think the first one is probably true. Okay. I feel like that one is, how could it not be true? Fine. I'll go with that one as true. This next two, these covers, Jake. These covers, I... I want to say that Madonna one probably is true. I feel like Madonna's on there all the fucking time. I'm going to go with that one true. The John Lennon one false. It's maybe somebody else. I don't know. Is that one in three are true? Final answer? Final answer. Wrong. Damn it. God damn it. <laughs> the first one's a lie. <gasps> Fuck. It was founded by Jan Wenner. Ah. Uh, <laughs> see, that's... Ah, uh, that's a... That's... Grill Marcus has written for Rolling Stone. Devil's in the details. I'm just hearing these... Random names. Okay. I'm like, oh, the, yeah, I, must I, be true. I was worried by I didn't know how familiar you were with Rolling Stone because Jan Wenner is like the whole story is he just founded it in San Francisco. He's like the guy who. No. Yeah, I did. Yeah. John Lennon. Um, the first three covers. John was on the first one in his costume for the movie How I Won the War. Mm. Um, he was on the third one with the Beatles when they were filming Magical Mystery Tour. Do you know who was on the second one? Female artist. Janis Joplin? Nope. Tina Turner. Oh. Another alliterative name. And then the Madonna thing is true. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's a good one. Rolling Stone. Stump the schwamm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We will wrap up this week with a recommendations of the week. Jake, I am. I like this one from you. This you is do. an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my recommendation is the song Angela by the Lumineers. Um, over the weekend, I took a drive to Portsmouth with Big Friend of the Pod Mary-Kate, my girlfriend, and she popped this song on. And I had this moment where I was like, holy shit, this song is awesome. Yeah. And we listened to it a bunch on the yeah. ride that day. Like, I think five, six times we listened to this song. It's super catchy. Yeah. And it's, like, heartfelt. It's got, like, this cool feel about it and um, really impassioned vocal performance from the lead singer. So I always forget that I, I like the Lumineers Dude, more than I Lumineers are really good. Yeah, they are. I think a lot of people would say, oh, they're a one-hit wonder. Oh, hey. No. They have a lot of songs that I think are better than that. And on this album, this most recent one that came out last year, I always forget how much I like the songs on there. Yeah. They're doing a lot of invoking women with names that end with A. You got Ophelia, mm. you got Cleopatra, mm -hmm. you got Angela. So I I saw this recommendation from you, and I went back and listened to that album today, and I was reminded how good it actually is. Oh, you listened is. to the whole thing? I listened to the whole thing. It gets a little weak towards the back half. It does. That yeah. front half, though, is Really fucking it's strong. It's loaded. Um, the, and the problem with with um, the Lumineers is, unfortunately, at this point, they have no cool factor left. No, they're a band that's seen as like they they were indie and they kind of went mainstream in the way that like a band sort of like Imagine Dragons or like this one of those Lumineers. Types of bands. Going back to our folk indie folk talk from a couple weeks ago. Lumineers are the band that like basic bitches are like I like indie folk I listen to Lumineers <laughs> and it's like no you don't you don't know music you heard them on the radio and it was like the one album you listened to in the past three years so yeah you you like the Lumineers sure you like indie folk sure 
Also, um, one of a rare band name that rhymes with my last name, Deschutinier Luminaire. Kind of a rhyme. That's true. Slant rhyme with the lumen. Um, It's kind of not a big deal, but Um, sort of a kinship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, uh, like, one of my favorite underlooked songs from that album is Gun Song. It's a good song. I love that song. Yeah. Really, really good. I'm going to give that whole album a new list. It's good. It's good stuff. My recommendation of the week also falls in with that uh, indie folk feel uh i got into the creek drank the cradle by iron and wine uh this is i think his debut album or it's his second album i forget i forget which it's early on it's before he had that major label debut um this is my favorite anything i've heard by iron and wine before it's got this cool lo-fi feel um all the songs are really good I would recommend checking that out if you, A, like Iron and Wine and haven't listened to this, or B, maybe couldn't get into Iron and Wine, this might be the thing that grabs you. When we did the folk pod, I listened to one of their albums, and now I can't remember which one it was. Endless Number Days, was that it? Uh, maybe. I think that yeah. was the one. Yeah. 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 It's, again, that's good. I like this album better. Okay. I think I think it's worth checking out. So, I'll take that into consideration. Yeah. A couple, uh, just, a, just a couple folkies, Jake. Folk on, man. Folk on. There's no better way to sign off than that. No. no. Oh, next week, actually, we will be doing our Boston Calling preview episode. Hell we'll yeah. We'll do some fun over-unders and stuff yes. like that that we can talk about. Oh, most anticipated awesome. artist. Dude, everything I can't wait like for that. that. It's going to be great. It's yeah. going to be a hell of a weekend. Yeah. So we'll talk about that next week. We will see you then. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. It's hot. The Celtics. takes are hotter. <laughs> the takes are hotter. Celtics going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Th- they will be lucky to win in five. How to lose? To lose in five. In five. Was step- yes, they'd be fucking lucky one to my, win in five. Really quick, one of my favorite things I saw so far was like Skip Bayless tweeted some fucking take about. It was about the Celtics. He was like. Wizards would have given Cavs a challenge. They'll breathe the sigh of relief that the Celtics won. Some guy responds. Some guy responds. Celtics in four. <laughs> it's like, dude, not happening. Absolutely not. Celtics in four. Yeah. Ultimate confidence. They'll be lucky to take one game. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I kind of agree that the Wizards probably would have given the Cavs a better run because we we play the Cavs well though. Yeah, we as in the Celtics, the team I'm on. I think. The Wizards have more overall talent that could just... They have stronger talent catch, at the top. Right, but their bench and stuff, the rest of their team isn't as strong. I feel like... Beal shredded us last night. Yeah, and I feel like Beal and Wall could catch lightning in a bottle one game and both drop like 45 and they beat the Cavs. So, like, I, I don't know. Even they... Even, either team is at best taking the Cavs to like six. At, oh, dude. Yeah, that'd be a fucking miracle. Like, a, yeah, a miracle would be... Losing in six or seven. Yeah. That would be like the Celtics defied the odds. How about Kelly the Clinic Olenek? Dude, you've had his back since the jump. I've never once called him Kelly O'Flinick before. Nope. It's always been the clinic. I love that guy. I see what you were doing with that. You were saying Oaf. Oaf. Yeah. The whole time you were saying that while you were making fun of him ruthlessly while we watched game six. <laughs> I mean, having his back. I thought you were just putting an F in there. I thought you were just calling him Ophlinic. <laughs> and I was like, what is, like, I'll keep, I'll keep laughing at it, but I don't fully get it. No, no, no. Like, because he looks like an Oaf. He, right. Well, he yeah. totally does. Yeah. He, again, the neckbeard, it's got to go. He, they did the post game interview. 
it looks worse up close. I was like, maybe he is like, like your boy, some really light facial yeah. hair and the mustache. Didn't look like he had he much of anything going on. He's a disgusting looking human. And his voice and whole demeanor is even worse. But he was knocking down some threes. That's right. And hitting some layups, so I'll take it. What's funny is he was the story of the night, dropping 26. Isaiah quietly had 29. That's true. Yeah, that's true. And that's more what you expect. You don't expect Kelly the Ophoflinic to go off for... (laughs) The Ophoflinic. The (laughs) Ophoflinic. No, the clinic came up huge. It's fun to win a Game 7. It's fun to be in the Eastern Conference Finals again. It... None of this feels as cool or as good as any of the other playoff runs because you just know yeah. it's fool's gold. Yeah. Like I remember that was that was the super like winning that series that was kind that of the was Super Bowl. Our, yeah, that was the the farthest we're gonna get. Um, I remember back in 2012 when we played the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals back oh, when heat. it was the last real run of that core nucleus. Yep. I honestly thought we were winning that series. It was devastating when they that lost. That was a, a sneaky, really heartbreaking loss because we were up 3-2. to two. If it weren't for Super Bowl 42, Patriots-Giants, the worst loss of my sports fandom ever would be Game 7, Celtics-Lakers 2010. I would agree with that. Because they squandered that away and if, if only they had had Perk. I know. Unbelievable. Also up 3-2. to two. You know what I was thinking is interesting? In any series that ends up going seven games, um, or, or like any, any series that goes into game five and it's two to two, that seems like such an even even series. One team always just goes up three to two, yeah. which is like you've basically just won the series. It feels like you have. Doesn't the it Celtics feel like didn't. insurmountable? Yeah, but when the Celtics went up three two on the Lakers, more often than you realize, teams drop three two leads, and the other team wins in seven. Because usually a three two lead is just indicative of a series that's going seven. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's weird because it's like even if it's going seven, it feels like it's over. Yeah. It, right. It it's, it's a weird phenomenon with game five. Well, and then when that team inevitably loses game six. It, it feels like, oh, shit, like now we're definitely losing in seven. Yeah. Although, actually, you might remember that when we watched the Celtics game six, I had full confidence they'd win in game seven. Yeah. I felt This that. series went exactly how I think everyone expected it to. All the home the home teams winning every yeah. game. Yeah. yeah. Series never really starts till you win on the opponent's floor, though. So that, that series technically never started. <laughs> That's right. So. This series is actually kicking off tomorrow. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How does the Celtics... Pierce, Garnett, Allen era, how much has that changed if they win that second chip oh. over Kobe and they win game seven in L.A.? It's... I, I was actually thinking about that this. That wasn't even the best Celtics team of those three. No. It was the worst of those first yeah. three years. Because if you remember 9 They won like 20... What? How many in a row? 23? To start the seven, season off of the, the wake of their 08 yeah. championship. They were crushing it. Then Garnett got hurt. Got and hit. they didn't really have a chance to make it back to the finals. So right. because of that... Kobe gets to win a championship against the fucking Magic. Magic. That would have been a good three-peat. Yeah. Kobe's like kind of forgettable Lakers, but good Lakers. Are they that, pal? That's an interesting era of the NBA. That's, it is. That's the trans- it's right before it got great again. That's the transition between terrible early to mid-2000s hero ball. It's, it's still partly that, but it's starting to get better. And bef- But before we got into pace and space and slash and kick and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a hybrid. It feels like... 
kind of that Celtics Lakers possibility kind of rejuvenated the NBA yes. near the end yeah, of the yeah, 20 absolutely the 2000s. it kicked off a whole new great era for it but if the Celtics win that second one I think what's going to happen they're going to go down in history kind of like the uh it's going to be kind of like the 70s Blazers with Bill Walton yeah. where people are like great team they only won one though they yep. should have won more but injuries got in the way. I think it's going to be one of those weird footnotes where it's like it had, it could have. NBA fans who know are like it could have been a lot more. Could have been three. Yeah. In my mind, it could have maybe should have been either three or two out of three. Yeah, will never have been. So only it's ever tough. been one. So they caught lightning in a bottle of that 2008 yeah. year. Yeah, that was such a great season. Well, like that was back when I was still a teenager and when I like sports was pretty. It was like sports is almost it for me. Right. That's right near the end of sports being my biggest thing, where I watch Sports Center every day and I was like really locked in on everything sports. So the fact that they got KG and Ray Allen was huge for me. Think about, and I know this is probably boring for non New Englanders, but it's the pre-show, so you don't or post-show, so you don't have to listen. But what a run that 0708 stretch was for Boston sports. The Patriots, yeah. the the Red Sox won the World Series in 07, in October. Mm-hmm. That was right as the Patriots were kicking off their 18-1 year that almost ended in perfection. Yeah. Over that span, the Celtics win a championship. Yeah. Could have been three or four that year. Yeah. That's wild. Probably should have that's, been three out of crazy. four. It, yeah. it should have. Yeah, it should have. It and that's have. and those are all the 2007 seasons. Yeah. Because even though like it the Patriots and Celtics overlaps into 08, like that's all the all of those are like those teams 07 season. That's what they call. I so, I, I love all of the stats that come out about how dominant Boston sports have been since, it's cra- since it's basically like 2001. I was reading one stat yesterday. It was specifically a, and I love when they pull out these weird things to compare it to. They're like since. The, the last time a Washington franchise has been in a conference final, which was, I think, 1998, Boston teams have been in, like, 25 or something. It's insane, dude. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. It, uh, it's an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, it is. is. And it I've is. just grown accustomed to it. Is this the worst team or team that has the least amount of um, chance of actually getting to a finals out of any of the the... Other Four remaining? Oh, well. No, like any any Boston sports conference championship of all time, any opportunity to go to the finals, the Super Bowl, the World Series, etc., is this the worst team or the team that has the least amount of chance to I do so? I would have to see more about those, like, kind of shitty Patriots teams that were occasionally good. But you always thought... In football, no, I mean like I mean like seventies. I mean like oh no no I, oh I meant I meant since like in the twenty first century basically. Oh yeah, like probably lifetime. probably. Yes. I would say it is. It depends how you feel about that Celtics team that gave the Nets a run for their money in 02. Oh yeah, that's right. But they well, brought we, that to we, six. Yeah, that's right. So that's true. I'd say probably. Although to be honest, we might be trying to reverse jinx it a little bit. No, I, I have no preconceived notions that the Celtics are are winning this series. I don't think they're winning the series. I think they get a game. Yeah, fine, but I. It's not even a reverse jinxing it or softening the blow. Like, I understand what's going to happen. Yeah. And it, it does make it less exciting. Yeah. You know what's interesting? That is an interesting question to compare that 0-2 Celtics team to this team. Yeah. I actually think this team would beat them. Oh, they definitely Because the NBA is so, even so different 15 years later yep. with all the, the spacing and the shooting. We would just shoot threes the whole game and win. We'd, we'd kill Although Antoine Walker would probably match the um, 
Him alone would match the amount of this new Celtics team three point attempts. Just and, him. And he'd hit one of five. <laughs> four others he bricked. And then do an Antoine like shuffle down the yeah. court. Although, dude, that was like, you know what? There's something innocent about that era mm-hmm. where guys could just be cocky in their three point yep. shot, even if it was unfounded. Even if they shot 25%. Right, which Tuan probably did. And I remember thinking as a kid, I was like, he, oh, Antoine's good at threes. <laughs> I remember I, thinking that. I, honestly, I think he is like a career. 30% three-point shooter. He wouldn't even be close to... He wouldn't be, like, allowed to shoot today. No. Absolutely. No. Well, you know what, though? Because he would probably just end Improve up... Improve his game. ...shooting more, so... Tuan had an interesting game, though, because he had some... 32.5% career from three. That's not terrible, to be honest with you. Right. He was all right. He also had an interesting little sort of shimmy post-game, if you yeah, recall. Yeah. He was a fucking load. He dude. was. He was he a big was dude. Fat. Antoine is someone who... He's another guy... I think I used this analogy recently... Maybe with a musician. Oh, it was Mac DeMarco. Um, Antoine is a guy who, um, not a great student, could have been really smart, but didn't apply himself. Because yes. you could tell, he was flabby. He didn't yep. try. He didn't show up and work. He was just gambling all his money away. But he was. He had all the natural talent. That's, yeah, that's a good point. I feel like there was a lot of guys like that in that era. Do you remember when Antoine was traded away for like a season and a half? To the came, yeah. Came yeah. back. Yes. As number 88. Yes. That, did, that felt gross. That was a gross... But then, if you remember, Al Jefferson, who was number eight at the time, gave Antoine Mm. his number eight, and Al Jefferson became number seven. Yeah, that was a gross Celtics era. It was about as bad as they got. And what's funny is that, in in a weird way, that was when I was most (laughs) into them. That was when I watched every single game without fail. Like, this season, I've missed playoff games, (laughs) unfortunately. Yeah. Like... But that's just growing up. Like you, st- when you're yeah. a kid, you can watch every game, and I you really used to. Like I would try to actively watch every single Celtics game. So that's a lot of games. It is, dude. And I would go. We'd get the TV guide that came with the yes. Thursday paper, and I would look at the sports. Yes, queen. I'd look at the sports section, and I'd write them all down, and yes. and, and put a magnet yes. on the fridge. What'd you do about the West Coast games? Sometimes I. Would watch some of them or some t- like the first year when I was like in fourth grade. I don't think I could watch them. Right. But when they played the Lakers, I was excited for that. So my mom recorded it for mm. me on a VHS. Mm-hmm. It's a VHS I've watched many times because this was a game where speaking of Tuan, he hit a game-winning three, banked it at the <laughs> yes. Staples Center yes. at the buzzer, and then there was like one second left at the cl- on the clock. Kobe gets an inbounds pass. This is Afro Kobe. Yes. This is like early, early 2000s Kobe, height of pre, the Lakers. Pre-race Kobe. And, and what's funny is I didn't realize until years later that this was just a sleeper game for the Lakers. They just were having yeah. a bad night. Yeah. Even though that team, the Celtics, did end up going to the conference finals. That's, yeah. But anyways, Kobe hits a shot, and in an early NBA replay move, they wave it off, and they say he didn't get the shot off. It, was, it didn't get off with the That's an interesting slice of history. It, yeah, it's pretty cool. It was I watched that. on I've VHS. also heard this story referenced. I think like three times in the past two weeks. The, I my brother brought it up the other yeah, day. Yeah, dude, this was in our. We had a Nissan Quest, and we had this little console with a tiny TV in it and a VHS player. I would yeah. watch this all the time. <laughs> I seriously did. I'd pop it in. The I'd, Celtics game. I'd watch the end. I would love to see that now and see like the fucking commercials well, that were happening and the quality of yeah. the footage and like Vitali Potapenko out yeah. there on the court and Milt Palacio. Dude, those guys were were all over the place. That's something else. Yeah, little um, Celtics, little Celtics bites for you. NBA yeah. bites. Are you ready to start? Yeah, okay. I think so. Okay, I'm all loosened up. Episode seventy-three. Okay, <clears throat> ready. Three, two, 
one, 